much for the opportunity to be here together, worshiping you, honoring you. We thank you, Lord, for how great you are and all the great things you've done in our lives. Sometimes we, we tend to overlook those things, but Lord, we know that you are moving in our lives each and every day, each and every moment, and we just pray that we will have our eyes open to see those ways that you continue to move through each of us and the ways that you continue to hold us fast through each of our journeys. Lord, uh, we want our desires to align with you in the way that you are leading our lives. And most of all, Lord, we want everything that we do, every action that we have, every word that we speak, to be that of what you have provided in your example of Jesus. Lord, may our lives reflect Jesus in everything that we do. Lord, here as a church, we have a goal to, to love others, bless our neighbors, and we just pray that that will be, um, come easy for us, that that will be a way that we can live each and every day, loving each other, blessing our neighbors as we, as we strive to live like Christ. Lord, as part of that, I pray that we will have peaceful relationships with others, that we will be able to be humbled um, and not think of things in pride, but be able to be humbled and truly, um, as a nation and as a church, um, be able to interact peacefully with others. Again, we thank you for this opportunity to be here this morning and, and lift all of our, our praise to you. In your name, amen. Well, like I said, I am glad to be here this morning worshiping with you. Uh, I do have a couple of announcements just to run through here this morning. For those of you who may be guests with us, there is a connection card in the pew in front of you. Please fill that out. We'd love to know that you're here um, and to know more about you. Those connection cards also double as a, a prayer um, form. So if you have any prayer requests, our, we have a great team of, of prayer warriors who would love to pray for those. They can also be emailed um, to, to the church, uh, but we would love to pray for those things. Um, as part of the upcoming season of Easter, the church has, um, is embarking on a special Easter offering to help meet the needs of those brothers and sisters who have been really strongly affected by the coronavirus. Um, there is currently a benevolence fund within the church, and, and so that has a, at least uh, $4,000, which will currently be donated. And where this money is going is to L, um, LMC, that Lancaster Mennonite Conference, the group of local churches that we have here, as well as the Mennonite World Conference. And these funds are gonna be designated um, to help pay for medical bills, to help pay for food or funeral costs or rent of individuals. And also as congregations, um, it's gonna be helping some other congregations throughout the world who may need help with mortgage, with salaries, with outreach programs or utilities. Um, so the goal is to continue this raising of this benevolence fund. Um, and to have the spe special Easter offering, and those funds can be received uh, up through the end of April to, to add to that, um, to that journey. We also have a Good Friday service coming up. Um, that will happen, obviously, on Friday, April 2nd this year. Um, it will happen at 6 p.m. That, that service will be live-streamed. It will not be a service here within um, the church setting, but it will be live-streamed and also recorded, so you can view that at a later time if desired. Um, so this morning, I, I know that a lot of you are kind of reflecting on the fact that we've been in a year of a pandemic, um, and it was around this time last year where everything kind of came to light, and I can imagine you, as I, have had a lot of things that have been new and different this year. 
lots of things that are good and lots of things that may have been a little different, a little bit of a struggle. But some of those things um, around this time last year, because of the social distancing and kind of staying as our family unit, my family started to do a lot of hiking. We, we loved to enjoy nature, we loved to go outside, and we did a lot of hiking um, in the first couple of weeks of this pandemic. But Another thing that I got involved in, which I never had thought that I would get involved in, and that was a virtual devotional. Um, so many of you may have heard of Chip Ingram. He's a, um, a well-known pastor. He focuses on um, small groups a lot of times, small group studies, uh, and just is, is really passionate about discipling. Well, he decided to offer an in-home uh, devotional that I, I took part of with my husband in the first couple of weeks uh, of the pandemic. And that devotional walked us through the book of Philippians. And the book of Philippians is not very long, it's only a couple chapters, but I, I didn't really understand how we could go through one book of the Bible in a two or three week period. But I will tell you, I came away from that looking at the book of Philippians and realizing there's a lot more depth. Um, I, we, we spent time memorizing, we spent time really just understanding the, the background of Philippians, and it has become a very um, a very awesome book in my understanding of, of what the book of Philippians is. So when I looked through this week and saw that Pastor Ryan will be speaking on Philippians this week, it kind of rejuvenated me, and I went back to Philippians and had some of those uh, verses come to mind, and I was reading through, and it's just, it's a great book. Um, so I'm excited to see what Pastor Ryan has to share with us this morning. Well, good morning. It's good to be together in the presence of God with each other. I was just thinking this morning how privileged we are at MJMC to have the opportunity to hear from multiple different speakers, multiple different voices who bring their own unique perspective. And it's something that I really value about being part of this specific community of followers of Jesus because I find that it enriches my understanding of who God is and how we follow Jesus together. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been invited to go somewhere or do something, and in your mind you're like, uh, I don't know if I really want to do that? Or maybe even what happens to me, uh, I can't really be bothered to do that. And then you go or you do that thing and you have a great time, or maybe even something unexpected happens. When I was 17 years old, a major event happened in my life. I was sitting in a church pew on a Sunday evening because a good friend of mine had invited me to attend his baptismal service. Now, I hadn't been in church for quite some time, and if I'm being honest, I didn't really want to go, and I wasn't terribly thrilled about being there. You see, I didn't have very good memories of going to church as a child. I do have one great memory. One year, uh, my Sunday school class was in a closet, yes exciting closet. Now, this isn't your average closet. It's not where you store your rooms. It's like a really big closet because that's where they stored the gym mats. You know those mats that are quite thick? You do gymnastics on them, you fall on them. Well, my Sunday school class this year was all boys, and we would rush and get to Sunday school early. Now, that's a new thing. And we would pull the mats down, we'd jump around, we'd wrestle, and it was awesome. 
and then our teacher would come and make us tidy it all up. That's my fun memories of church. But for the most part of the time, I just couldn't wait to actually leave church. And in fact, it took multiple invites from my friend and another friend for me to even consider to come that evening. But there I was, sitting in the pew, and something unexpected happened. I wouldn't say that it's the first time that God was active and present in my life, because I believe that God's love is so persistent, it's so invasive, it's so infused into our world that it's always really available to us. And I think it's more likely that we're not open to it, we're not aware of it, or we just don't attribute good things in our life to God. But at 17, sitting in the pew, I became very aware of God's presence and love. And that was the moment, an unexpected moment, when I started following Jesus intentionally. But as a new follower of Jesus, you've got a lot to learn, right? You're, you're thinking, what have I signed up for here? What am I supposed to believe? Yes, I believe there's a God, but who is this God? What's this God like? And what does this mean for my life? Well, how's it going to look any different anymore? Pretty much you're wondering what are the basic things that I need to know as a follower of Jesus. So today, we're starting a new series called 10 Things. We recently found an article titled 10 Things Every New Believer Should Know. And the author lists 10 basic truths uh, that every follower of Jesus should know to have a good foundation in their, in their faith. So if you're a new follower of Jesus, this is a great starting place. But if you've been following Jesus for a long time, this is still really useful, right? Because following Jesus isn't a destination. It's not a, you're never going to make it. It's a lifelong journey of moving closer to God, growing into deeper relationship with God and others and, and all creation around you, and by the grace of God being transformed. And so therefore, the, whether you've been following Jesus for one year, 10 years, 40 years, there's always the opportunity to learn and grow and to move closer to God. So over the next three weeks, uh, we are going to be reviewing these ten truths, uh, but each of these ten truths, we should all be working deeper into our heart and our mind and into our hands as we follow Jesus. This morning, I'm going to be exploring two of these truths under uh, a biblical slogan that you find, which is, Jesus is Lord. And what's remarkable about this, this uh, idea of Jesus is Lord is on the one hand, it's simple. It's three words. It's a slogan that you're, anyone in biblical times would have understood. But on the other hand, it's complex, and it's deep and rich in meaning. So it's simple but complex, and it's going to take a lifetime to live it out. So let's dive into the first truth, which uh, we're going to do by emphasizing the first word of our biblical slogan, Jesus, Jesus Christ. Anytime I'm asked, why am I a Christian, and maybe you've been asked that before too, my answer is always Jesus Christ. And that might seem pretty obvious, right? And sure, there's a lot more to unpack there because I certainly want to affirm that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But at the core or foundation of why I am a Christian is Jesus Christ and nothing, nothing else. So I'm not a Christian because I thought, oh, this seems like a good idea. Or I'm not a Christian because I thought, oh, I want meaning in life. Or I'm not a Christian because I thought, oh, well, it'll make my life so much easier. Because in fact, sometimes it doesn't. 
or because I thought, oh, I got to have some eternal fire insurance, as I like to call it. I'm only a Christian because of Jesus. And this is crucial, and here's why. We have some biblical language for this. Most of you will know the story. You'll have heard it as a child where uh, a man builds his house on sand and a man builds his house on rock, and which one's going to stand up? I'm going to give you a different image this morning. Imagine you're building a, uh, a pyramid from playing cards. You know, you stack them up like this, and then you create a line, and then you keep on going five, four, three, etc. Well, imagine that just like a house, this uh, this pyramid relies upon that foundation to stay up. And imagine you're a Christian, which shouldn't be too hard, um, and, but actually your foundation is not Jesus of your playing card pyramid. Imagine it's something else. Imagine Jesus is at like level three, and your foundation is things like success, or money, or even your family, or things that you hold valuable. Well, what happens whenever you don't you lose all your money, or you don't have success, or your family falls apart, or you have other beliefs, Christian beliefs down there, and you start to doubt those. Well, what happens when that foundation falls away? Well, then likely Jesus comes tumbling down with it. But if Jesus is your foundation, and then trouble comes along, and your other layers of your pyramid start to crack and crumble and maybe even fall, Well, Jesus still remains at the core, at the foundation of who you are and the purpose of your life. The author of the article says it like this, focus on Jesus, his cross, his resurrection, and his kingdom. When you confess Jesus as the living Lord and Messiah, you never said and will never say anything more meaningful. Jesus is God with skin. I love that little phrase. Jesus is God with skin. And this is the remarkable, the astonishing uh, claim about Christianity, that God, that God took on flesh, entered into the world, lived and understands the human condition, and is now knowable as our Savior and the example of what it means to be human. It's just extraordinary Uh, Such an extraordinary claim to make that. In the book of Philippians, chapter 2, there's this uh, beautiful poem that begins, Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, what's crazy about this beautiful poem, and forgive me, I'm a bit of a nerd about these things, so I get very excited about them. Um, What's crazy is that Paul ties, in this little section of this poem, Paul ties the story of Jesus with a story in the book of Isaiah about a servant who does for Israel in the world what they can't do for themselves. That kind of sounds Jesus-y. Then he ties the human story and the story of God all together into this person of Jesus that we call Lord. It's not that God was over here doing something and Jesus was over here doing his bit. What we're discovering, what Jesus is revealing to us is that Jesus is revealing who God is. And actually, Jesus is redefining the meaning of God. 
Or another way we could say it is that God, that Jesus is like God, but the greater truth is that God is like Jesus. Jesus is like God, but the greater truth is that God is like Jesus. As John says, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. I think the temptation for all of us is to have this idea or this picture of who God is. Maybe it's a picture that we like, or maybe it's a picture that we've been given, and then we try to fit that into Jesus. But this poem and the New Testament as a whole says, no, you can't do it that way. It's Jesus who reveals who God is, and any image of God you have has to be refined, reshaped around the person of Jesus. And if the idea of God taking on human flesh, which is radical and crazy enough, isn't crazy enough, then it says that God is even willing to go to death, even on a cross. Just let that sink in. Even death on a cross. I think I'm as guilty as anyone of being all too familiar with the idea that God takes on human flesh and then dies even on a cross. But it's just mind-boggling. It's mind-blowing. It's crazy that a God would take on human flesh, the limitations of our flesh, which we all understand because we're all human, I hope, um, understands and takes on that condition even to death on a cross, a miserable, degrading, painful death on a cross. Who is this God that they would be willing to do that? And what's amazing about the revelation of the cross is it's the manifestation of God's love. It reveals to us how far God is willing to go to rescue, to redeem, to reconcile his creation, including us. And that's the kind of God that I want at the foundation of my faith. There's that famous verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Or I love this verse in 1 Corinthians 1 that talks about how the the cross looks like foolishness to the world, right? And you see this even with the disciples. They don't believe that anything happens. They believe that their Savior has failed because he's died on a cross. So it looks like foolishness to the world, but it's actually the power of God. God is transforming the world. God is transforming us through the power of God's love. So our faith our ultimate foundation, our trust and faith must be in the incarnate God, Jesus Christ, who is the full revelation of who God is and reveals to us what it means to be human. And every other aspect of our lives, as Jesus is the core, must orbit around this core foundation of Jesus Christ. Which leads me to my second truth. So we've emphasized the first part of our biblical slogan, Jesus. Now we're going to emphasize the last part. Jesus is Lord. I'm going to guess that Lord is not a normal part of your vocabulary, right? Sounds it more at home in Downton Abbey, where you've got your servants and whatnot and your lords. Hello, Lord McQuitty. does have a certain ring to it. If you want to call me that, I will not be offended. Just heads up. (laughs) 
But calling Jesus Lord is extremely significant, arguably one of the most important things that you could ever say, and maybe even one of the most dangerous. You maybe have heard people from this platform say, be careful what you pray for, or be careful what you tell God you won't do, right? Well, be careful who you call Lord. But if Lord is not a normal part of our vocabulary, and often we use Lord as just interchangeably for God, which is fine, but what, what does it actually mean? What does the term Lord mean? Well, I'm going to suggest that we might define Lord as Lord is the one with authority, the one with power, and the one who is in charge. And we'll get back to that, so stay with me a wee minute here, because it's going to seem like I'm taking a detour, but I'm not. Um, in the Bible, occasionally you come across pieces of Scripture that are confessional, meaning that the people confess them. Okay, so for the Jewish people in Jesus, because he also quotes the New Testament, it's called the Shema. We find it in Deuteronomy 6, and it says, Listen, Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord alone, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your being and all your might. And you're going to teach this to your children. And you're going to confess it three times a day. And it's going to come to define who you are as the Jewish people. And the reason that this confession is significant is because the Jews lived in a world of polytheism, okay, meaning many gods. So we're monotheists. We believe in one God. The Jewish world was polytheistic, meaning there was multiple gods. And these gods had control or power or authority over different spheres. So you had your God over agriculture, your God over your family and your house, your political life, over sexuality, etc., etc. And it's into this context that the Shema is confessed three times a day. Because the Shema says, no, there is one God, and you must renounce all idolatry. You must renounce that anything other than the one true God has any sovereignty over your life, has any power or authority over your life. Because here's the problem with idols, right? Idols pull our allegiance away from God, and we actually end up giving them power over us. And so uh, things like money and success are idols, and so they pull our allegiance, they move Jesus, God, from the core, the foundation of who we are, and we replace it with something else. And the Shema says that we can't do that. And the Shema goes on to say that the way that we worship is actually to take every aspect of our lives. So if you're involved in agriculture, that is under God. That is not under a idol. So you take all the spheres of your life, every aspect, and you offer it up to God in worship. In other words, and here's the key point, there is nothing Nothing in our lives, no matter how large or small, that shouldn't be related to God. There's nothing in our lives, no matter how small or large, that shouldn't be related to God. And this exact conversation was happening during the time of Jesus, because there was people walking around saying that Caesar is Lord, saying that Caesar is the one who has the power and authority and control over the world. And so saying that Jesus is Lord, is actually a super countercultural, radical, revolutionary term. That's, it's a biblical slogan that's simple but complex, countercultural, revolutionary, because it's saying that, it, that um, Caesar is not Lord. So anytime in the Bible, when someone says Jesus is Lord, they're automatically saying that Caesar is not Lord. 
And although we don't have Caesars in our world, right, we certainly do have idols. We certainly do have things that we're tempted to put our trust, our faith in, to say that we have given them power and authority and they are in charge. By confessing that Jesus is Lord is saying no to those things and yes to Jesus. So saying that Jesus is Lord is saying that Jesus is the one with power and authority over my life And how we follow Jesus is to bring every aspect of our lives under the authority and power of God. And this is the author's point. He says, uh, we can easily fall into the temptation of thinking and communicating that God is only interested in our spiritual lives. God cares about your whole life, not just your spiritual life. It is a mistake to think that God is only concentrated concerned about a section of your life called your soul or your spirit. God cares about and is to be Lord of all your life, personal, emotional, social, family, financial, physical, vocational, sexual, intellectual, and so on. So let me give you an example. Because when I say all aspects of life, I mean every aspect of life, not just the large ones. So I didn't grow up in this area, and I didn't even grow up in this country. So when I first moved here, I did not understand the finer points of Lancaster County culture, okay? Well, when I applied for this position, one of the last things that I had to do, part of that process, was I sat up here on this exact platform, and Pastor Carl interviewed me. Now, Pastor Carl asked me a very innocent question about what it meant for Jesus to be Lord in my life. And I'm sure I gave some eloquent, well-articulated answer. But I also threw in there, um, probably off the top of my head, which is always a mistake, um, that the idea of Jesus being Lord over my life is so important to me that I would even consider becoming a vegetarian. I know, dangerous words. See, I didn't understand Lancaster County very well. I didn't understand all this farmers and hunting thing. Um, And so it was probably a bit of a mistake to mention the vegetarian word. I jokingly said to someone over here uh, this morning, and they didn't think it was funny, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, It was probably, possibly a mistake to talk about vegetarianism in a culture that has managed to turn meat into a dessert with ham loaf. That stuff is seriously sweet if you're not used to it. If I closed my eyes, I was thinking I was eating dessert. That's how sweet that is. But my point is, and the point I was trying to make that, that morning, is that there should be no aspect, no arena of my life that I shouldn't evaluate through the idea of Jesus as Lord, even what I'm eating. And I would say that's probably uh, an area, the areas where we're most unlikely to do it is the areas we don't even think about. And no, don't worry, you're allowed to eat meat. Um, This is not me telling you you can't eat meat. We personally do not eat a lot of meat, and I think some of that's to do with my own personality, my understanding of of God and how I can relate to God, but I don't think it's a mandated thing. It's not in the Bible that you can't eat meat, so you can all keep on eating your meat. So, but I think in principle, most of us would be happy to say that Jesus is Lord of our lives. We would feel pretty good about saying Jesus is Lord. But here's the issue, right? It comes with a cost. 
Bonhoeffer used to talk about the issue of cheap grace. Well, there's no such thing as cheap discipleship either. Following Jesus comes with a cost because lords demand absolute allegiance to them. There is a cost to saying that Jesus is Lord. And likely if most of us are, are, um, are honest with ourselves, we kind of like being our own Lord, right? We like deciding how we're going to use our money and our time, what we're going to eat, etc., etc., etc. We're quite happy to be Lord of our own lives. And it's actually a deeply ingrained part of American culture. We often call it individualism. But the idea that I get to control my life and other people shouldn't be able to say anything about it. Well, if you say that Jesus is Lord, this is a confession. This is an invitation to Jesus to respond back to you. And that sometimes comes with a cost. And maybe we're even scared of Jesus taking over our lives. Because Jesus is going to start highlighting parts of us that need to change. And change can hurt. Change can be painful. Change is not always nice. And maybe even there'll be areas of our lives that we're not even aware of that need changed. And then Jesus starts poking them. And that can hurt. C.S. Lewis is this great image that I, 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 I just can't get out of my head. It's constantly there. He says, imagine that you're a living house and you invite God into it, right? At the beginning, you understand what God's doing. He's fixing the things that you already knew about. The leaky roof, you needed some new windows, maybe a bit of insulation to make you comfortable. You knew about those things. They don't hurt. But then he starts knocking the house around in a way that hurts, adding a new floor, putting a wing out here. And then he goes on to say that you thought you were just being changed into a nice wee cottage, but, Jesus, but God was actually building a palace and he was coming to live, into it, live in it. Meaning that when we invite Jesus as Lord into our lives, he's going to start knocking us around a bit. And so we need to be careful when we're saying Jesus is Lord because it might hurt. So God is not only interested in our spiritual lives, and, and we say that Jesus is Lord is giving Jesus authority over every area of our lives. And how we worship Jesus, how we follow Jesus, is to take every aspect of our lives and offer them up to him in worship. So your two things that all Christians should know are the foundation of our faith is Jesus Christ and only Jesus Christ. The God that was willing to take on human flesh, enter the world, die a degrading death on a cross to reveal the love that God has for us, to save us. And yes, we're thankful that Easter's coming and he is raised to new life. So one, the foundation of your faith is Jesus Christ. Two, God is not only interested in your spiritual life, but every aspect of your life. God cares about what you do on a Monday morning through Friday. God cares about how you spend your time uh, when you're not at work. God cares about how you take care of your family. God cares about what you eat, about what you do, how much time you spend on your phone, how much time you watch TV. God cares about all of it. And finally, I encourage and challenge you to think about, one, is Jesus actually the foundation of my life? 
or is there other things that are, are the foundation or are vying for that position? You know, we're in the season of Lent, we've been talking about fasting. Fasting is one opportunity to say, I'm not going to let anything else be the foundation of my life other than Jesus Christ. And I'm going to take away some of the things that are vying for that position. So one, is Jesus the foundation of your life? And, or what else is, will be, might be vying for that? And then two, are there areas of your life that aren't under the authority of Jesus? And what would it look like for them to be? What areas of your life are not under the authority of Jesus? And what might that look like for them to be? Let's pray. Jesus, we give thanks that you reveal to us who God is. A God who loves us so deeply that you would take on human flesh, enter into our world, and take on the limitations of being a human. And that you would die on a cross, be raised to life, to reveal the great love of God, to transform us and the world into your kingdom. Lord, may this week we uh, take time to let that sink in, to reflect on it, to let you become the Lord of our lives, to open up the invitation for you to point out the areas of our lives that are not under your authority, that we haven't given you power over. And Lord, may they be transformed by your grace and by your mercy with your strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.